poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Mr. Loncar, how you doing, sir? Good morning. Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's uh, It's been a while since I've done one of these interview-style podcasts, like a little bit over a year, actually. So. Oh, wow. I've been... Thanks. Uh, I'm really honored then. <laughs> yeah, we've been in the Coaching for Profit streets and leading nice. a team of 15 or so and releasing courses and doing all of that sort of thing. And so... Something had to give, you know, as someone who has limited time, limited bandwidth, and the interview styles have kind of gone to the wayside. But hopefully, in the near term, we'll be bringing those back. And so, yeah, you're nice. number one on the reboot. And, nice. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm really honored now, man. Thanks again for having me on. It was awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so, as we typically do in these podcasts, tell me the story about you getting into the world of playing cards? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I owe it to my dad. Um, he always told me stories of him in the 70s uh, as a school teacher. Uh, he would get off work and then go down to the card room and would play a lot of stud games, cash games. And like he said, he's like, I probably made more money over a number of years at the card room than I did as a teacher. And he was a consistent winner and loved the game. He got where, me. Where are you from? Uh, you know, where are you guys from? So I was born and raised in Olympia, Washington, which is an hour south of Seattle, Pacific Northwest. And um, yeah, I, I've been playing card games for pennies and dimes with my dad and grandpa since I was four. My dad got me into online poker for play money uh, when I was 12 in 1998 on a website that doesn't exist anymore uh, called hotpoker.net. And uh, it was actually a play, a play money site, limit hold'em only. And I played on there for a number of years. And then when I was 17, my dad said, hey, how about you step up now and play some poker for real money on my party poker account? And uh, I slowly lost $500 over the course of six months playing $5 and $10 sit and goes. He said, okay, you're done, son. And then uh, when I was 18, you know, semi-broke uh, high school senior in high school, um, had a couple hundred dollars in my name, put it online. I ran Ran two hundred. I ran a hundred dollars. I ran a hundred dollars up to three k over a couple of weeks, and then just being an irresponsible eighteen year old, not knowing bankroll management, all of a sudden I'm playing six hundred dollar buying games with a three k bankroll, lost it all. Did the same exact thing six months later. Turned two hundred dollars into three k over the course of a month, slowly and surely. Now I'm playing six hundred dollar buying games again. Five buy-ins, lost it all. It's inevitable to happen when you're irresponsible with bankroll management like that, as you know. Could, could and, you go uh, back? It wasn't. Could and, you go back a second? Because yeah. I have I have some questions um, yes. about your dad specifically, right? Like, so where yeah. was he playing stud? How did he get involved in poker? Because 1998, you know, that's well before the moneymaker boom. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in how he stumbled across, you know, playing cards. Yeah, so he, he grew up, you know, my, my grandpa was a card player and he kind of trickled that down to my dad. And my dad started playing cash games at local card rooms in Aberdeen, Washington um, from his early 20s on and just kind of adapted to the different stud games. Um, that's This is like pre-Hold'em. Like he's like, there was no Hold'em back then. I mean, they sure. didn't, 
it was everything was limit stud games, high low, um, different games, and he just was a consistent winner. And he like he said, he's like, you know, it was the same group of guys. You know, you get to learn how they play and get to learn their tendencies. And there's a number of guys that just had money that didn't care about losing, you know, an average man's salary in a day because they had lots of money and capitalize on those guys and just became a consistent winner over the years and loved the cash game grind in the seventies and eighties. And it's, it's ironic that my dad said when Texas Hold'em became popular in about the mid eighties, he said they kind of overtook the stud games at the local card rooms. His win rate went down um, because he said the, the stud limit games were just so easy and so consistent. And now, you know, you can love, you know, Nolan will hold him. You can now leverage those big bats and big bluffs that you couldn't do in the limit games which makes the game swingier. And, um, but yeah, my dad, my dad, he, he's always been a card player. He's always been a kind of a maverick, a real estate agent, stockbroker, commodities trader, um, you name it, he's done it. And so poker kind of fits right in the mix with, with him and me. And, uh, luckily he passed that on to me. Nice. How, how'd your mom feel about, you know, the poker and then used playing poker at like 17 and that sort of thing. She was cool with it. She was cool with it. You know, she knew my dad, was going to give me good guidance. And, um, it really wasn't until I built up a nice little bankroll my freshman year of college, I turned like $200 into $3,000 in two nights and then slowly trickled that up to like 15 K by the end of my first semester. And then I dropped out of college and wanted to try playing poker for a living. That's when my mom got concerned. That's when no, no mom wants to hear their 19 year old son dropping out of college to go play poker for a living. That's not, that's not the mom's dream for sure. That's the mom's nightmare probably for most moms, 99% of moms, maybe all moms. And, uh, I did. Okay. I was making enough money to just pay the bills. My mom begged me to go back to school. I agreed. Um, so nine months later, I went, went back to college, got my two-year degree and was consistently winning online, had built up a nice bankroll. And by the time I got my two-year degree, when I was 21, I knew that poker was what I wanted to do. And I've been doing it ever since luckily. Um, so again, you're talking about how, you know, you, you built up a role and then you dusted it off and you built it up and you dusted it off. It sounds like freshman year of college, it finally stuck. Was there any specific yes. reason why it stuck? Yeah. So I hadn't played poker in a year since the last time I went broke when I was in high school and I was just kind of bored and I, I you know, the pain, I'll, I'll never forget the second time in high school. I, I six in the morning played all night. I was in tears. I was just in sobbing tears. That was such a painful experience, you know, such a painful thing to go through because $3,000 when you're 18 in high school feels like a lot more money than it really is, you know? Sure. And um, I just told myself I'm not going to play poker anymore ever again, you know? And of course, couldn't keep me away from the that game. I love the game. Um, <laughs> of course not. Yeah. So I, when, I, when I started playing again, it was Friday evening, 5 p.m. I deposited the $200. It was in my bank account out of the 300 in my account online. And I actually ran it up. I hardly slept, hardly ate, hardly shower. I didn't shower for 48 hours. And I had 5K in my account. And I was feeling good. What led to the restart? You know, you took a year off and then you you dove back in. I just love the game so much. Yeah. I love the game so much. I said, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot and try and do it right this time. And I, I built the $200 to 5K in 48 hours and then did exactly what I did in high school. I was playing too high. I think I was playing $400 in a limit. Got aces in pre-flop and lost, and then lost kings versus aces, 10 hands later against the same guy, and then I was just on mega tilt. Just tilt, 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 going crazy, playing awful, no chance of winning. An hour later, my account was at 3K, and thank God, I hit the pause button, exited the tables out, and I said, okay, 
Of course, I wish I would have stopped at 5K, but if you'd have told me Friday night, two days ago, that this $200 would not be 3K, I would say, oh my God, yes. So I cashed it out, took a week off, and I came up with a solid game plan of, I'm going to play $100 tables until I have this much money, and I'm going to risk this amount every day. If I lose this much, if I lose $300 for the day, I'm done. You know, and had a solid game plan. I stuck with that game plan full semester and was able to build it up nicely. And, you know, it obviously, as you know, every, everything's all about bankroll management, you know, risk management, having a game plan, sticking to it. And um, yeah. And it worked out. It stuck. It worked out. So yeah. you, you get your, your two-year degree. Um, tell me how the conversation went with your mom, you know, uh, as it relates to poker and pursuing poker in earnest. Yeah. So, I mean, by the time I got my two degree, I had paid cash for a nice little Acura, a little used Acura and had about a 35 K roll. And I didn't have one losing month in college because I was a sit and go grinder. So I would just mass table sit and goes. Um, by the time I got my two degree, I was able to play 15 tables of sit and goes continuously for eight hours straight on my laptop. And it was just very consistent. Um, hardly ever even had a losing week. How were you learning back then? Like what was the, Self-taught. There was no, there's just hundred percent self-taught all, all on your own. Just pure, pure lone wolf, pure lone wolf. And, uh, yeah, my mom knew how consistent it was. And, you know, obviously they helped me out with some college expenses, but I was able to pay for some stuff and my mom's okay. Like, yeah, if you're winning consistent like this and you're doing well, I, what can I say? Um, so yeah. Nice. So the early career is taking off and how, yep. how did the early two thousands treat you they treat me really well um you know fast forward now three years uh two years after my two-year degree is done at my peak i was playing it's kind of mind-boggling even now to think about it but poker stars gave you a, a little bit more time to act on the regular speed 10 minute level sit and goes back then than any games do today and so because of that i figured out a way finally to i was playing 45 sit and goes at a time continuously for eight hours straight by stacking the tables on top of each other. So you can only see one table at a time. You know, you make a decision, the next table pops up, make a decision, the next table pops up. Every once in a while, I've got a tough decision. I slide that table off to the side, off the stack, and think about what I want to do as I continue to go through the stack and make decisions. And um, it was lovely, man. It was, I was making a lot of money from rake back. I was making consistent money on the games and loving life and uh, built up a nice six-digit bankroll. And um, I think the number one advice I give to younger poker pros these days is not only having bankroll management on the felt, but my biggest fault in my twenties was as good as I was at having bankroll management on the felt, I was spending and blowing money off the felt. Like I was making a million dollars a year. And that was a recipe for disaster that I didn't see coming at the time. And that that's what caused me to go broke. That's what caused me to go from having a hundred thousand dollar plus at 23 driving a Porsche to a few years later, I'm needing to borrow money from mom and dad at 26, 27, just to have a meal getting staked fully backed in a $300 cash game to rebuild and think about the mistakes I had made off the felt that got me to that point. And, um, it wasn't until I, it wasn't until I made the, it wasn't until I made the decision off the felt to be as disciplined with my spending as I was when I was playing poker, that then I was finally able to be, long really long-term successful and continue to build and never look back so it's it's so important man to 
it, it's so easy to make it, you know, when you're young, it's so easy to make $3,000 in a night on poker and be like, oh, well, now I can go and pay for my friend's drinks and party and go get a nice hotel and go traveling and blow all this money because I'm making so much money here. It's so important to be disciplined off the felt as well. And that took me a long time to realize that. Yeah. And I mean, I think especially like when you're young and, you know, you have friends who are like grinding away at their jobs, at least like in my case, I think that a lot of them looked at me playing poker as I don't even know how they viewed it, but like, it was just that I had infinite liquidity and like asked to borrow money all the time. And, you know, I don't really know exactly I don't know exactly the thought process that they had, but I do know that like they didn't treat it as if it was like real money that I worked for. Uh, it was more so <laughs> yeah. just like funny money. Um, yeah. This is another sort of pivotal moment in your journey, it feels. So, you yes. know, you, you bust out, you start crying in high school, you don't play for like a year. And then now you have a lot of success. You build up, uh, you know, a six-figure bankroll. And then you bust that. So tell me the moment, like when you, when you busted the, the six figure role, like, did you have any thoughts of, you know what, maybe I should just not play poker? Not for one second, honestly. Like, in fact, it's kind of funny now. Cause looking back, there was like a three month period where I just sat on my hands because I was having trouble finding a back, finding a backer. It's not like today where everyone like social media kind of like networks everyone together. It wasn't like that back then. You know, this is like there's no Instagram. There's no like, my my network of poker players, I didn't have a big network of, of players and stuff. And so wolf, I literally just sat on my hands and said, okay, I'm just going to wait until I find a backer and things figure out. And I finally found a backer and crushed it and got it going. And I I had a lot of time to think about my spending habits and how absurd my spending habits were and just buying everything I wanted. And just, it, it was insane. Um, so I had a lot of time to, to have a game plan of what I was going to do once I started grinding again and once I started making money again to sustain and build. And I got to a point where I realized like, okay, there's, there's literally no difference between losing a hundred dollars in a cash game and spending a hundred dollars on a nice shirt. They're both minus a hundred in my bankroll. And that's, that's the mentality until I finally got to that mentality. Um, you know, I was just, I was, I was struggling because I was just blowing money as if I was making 10 times more than I was. And once I finally made that promise to myself to be mega disciplined off the felt. That's when I was able to build back up to a six K role and then, and then keep it. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's hard, right? Like there's so many different pitfalls for poker players. Um, just, you know, we've alluded to a few of them, right? Like lending money is one, um, spending, spinning yourself into oblivion. Uh, and then there's like the obvious, you know, drugs and strippers and all, all of those ways that we can blow money. But, realistically speaking there you know it's it's way easier to spend money than it is to make money in the world and yep. so like you do have like um i think it was one of the first poker books that i ever read it was uh mike caro's fundamental secrets of no limit hold'em and you know he said that basically money is your tool and this is your tool as a poker player to make more money um if you're a printer you wouldn't sell your printing press when to, to pay the bills because then you can't make any more money, right? Like this is the tool that you would use to generate money. And in poker, that's our bankroll, right? That is our tool. And so like, it just has to be protected at all costs. Um, Absolutely. Actually, it has to be protected at all costs at a certain point. I think that, you know, I'm actually a 
big proponent of like, if you have a bankroll that is like 2K or 3K, um, you can go broke. And it's not that big of a deal. Like you can get a job and then you can save that two or 3K back. But as soon as you start hitting like, you know, mid five figures, like 50K roll or 100K roll, at some point it becomes difficult to get a job and save that much money. So like the, the larger your bankroll is, the higher priority it is to protect it because it's just a lot more difficult to replace basically. Yep. Yep. And yeah, obviously uh, even like when Black Friday hit, um, it hit me hard because I went from winning consistently online to now going to, I was flying to Vegas every week and I was playing in way, way over my head games. I mean, I think I had like a hundred and little, just a little over hundred K and I was playing in like five K buy-in games. You know, that's not the smartest thing to do. And sure. Did you have a much experience playing live poker before that? Yeah. Yeah. I played a lot of live, played a lot of live. And, uh, I've always, I've always, I've always to this day, I believe that live cash games are the easiest way to make a living playing poker. It's not even, it's not even close to my mind. Um, especially at the lower games. I mean, if you want to figure out how good you are, you know, go play a one, two, $200 game at any casino. And if you can't win in those games, then you need to work on your game. And obviously it's nice now, um, which is obviously a whole nother topic, but there's, as you know, there's so much, there's so many training sites and there's so much material out there. And there's so many ways to learn today that there wasn't available even five or six years ago. Um, Twitch streamers, you can watch and see what they're doing with whole cards face up that are successful, good players. There's so many ways to learn and improve your game and train yourself to become a winning player. And, you know, live, live cash games are definitely the softest in my mind, the easiest way to make money, you know, make a living for sure. I mean, like, so, uh, you know, a, two, a standard two, five game, right? Like somebody that's crushing the game is probably going to be making something like 50 to 80 an hour. Right. And like, if you really think about that, like even 50 an hour, that's 10 bigs per hour and you get about 35 ish hands. So that's like 30 big blinds per hundred, which is unachievable online. It's not any, oh, it's unachievable. Close. Yeah. My, my win rate, my win rate at two five, I, I make about 125 an hour at two five which is like absurd uh, yeah i mean that's like 60 bigs per hundred like it's that's not insane. like yeah you can't get that online you can't even get it's hard to get the line you're playing the tables you know it's 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 it's, it's, it's interesting because i think there's a lot of different players that play live that just don't play online um and then online obviously you've got a lot of guys like me that are playing a bunch of tables and filling in the seats and it's tougher and i think probably the biggest difference between online live i've noticed is in cash games specifically is and tournaments too is Live cash games, you're going like five ways to the flop every hand, whereas online you're going two or three ways to the flops. Like right there, you know, you, you got players that are playing too loose and it just makes it easier. Yeah. And I mean, you can't have a crusher that is like playing four tables in the room at the same time. Right. No, I think that that's no. another Unfortunately, big part. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> I've tried I've tried to play two tables, but they won't let me. <laughs> yeah, like you, you can't multi-table live. So, you know, just the ratio of, you know, regs to recreationals, regs to fish, however you want to frame it, um, is just much higher in live poker because you, you can't cover as many tables. Um, the yeah. pros can't, they can only play one. And so yeah. like that creates a lot of opportunity. And I think that, you know, in my mind, I, I don't really know about the future of online poker. You know, you mentioned Black Friday, which was obviously kind of a cataclysmic event in poker history. But yeah, yeah 
I, I don't know really know exactly what the future of online poker entails or what it looks like. It's kind of murky. Um, and this is coming from someone who runs a pretty big coaching for profit operation that is almost exclusively online. But live poker is just going to be good until there's no poker left to play. Like live poker is just always going to be an option and, and a very profitable one. If you just so happen to live, you know, in a place where they have legalized and regulated casinos. And if you don't, uh, spoiler alert to anybody listening to this right now, there is a home game within a five square mile radius of you happening probably every single night of the week in your local area. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's it's, it's an, it's an interesting, it's, it's always an interesting thing to say that, that like live is so much softer than online because it is. And yet, and I, and I, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm a social guy. I'm a talkative guy. I love, there's certain things about live poker that I love. You can't compare it online, but I, I have always been and will always be an online guy. I prefer online because even though it's not as soft, it's obviously made up for by being able to play lots of tables, especially in tournaments. Like, I, there's nothing better than winning a live tournament. There's really nothing. There's nothing better than winning a big live tournament with your friends. And, you know, the, the in real life experience, that rush is unmatched. Um, but I do, I, I've always been an online guy because I love, I love Sunday so much. I love being able to get 16 tournaments going. I love the mental stimulation of constant, you know, decisions and, um, using, you know, using your memory to remember, okay, I raised over here on the turn. So now here on the river and, oh, I'm yes, I check raised here. And I love that. I love the constant action. Cause obviously when you're an online guy, when, when black Friday hit and I, I transitioned to playing a lot of cash. Oh my God. I, it was so boring. It was so painful. I mean, you know, you're going from, uh, I was going from a thousand hands an hour to 30 hands an hour. You can only imagine, you know, at the beginning, that was so painful, so tough. Um, and obviously there's so many pros and cons to live versus online, but I, I've always been an online guy because I just love being able to multi-table, spread the money out, sit at home in my underwear, listen to my music, eating my food on breaks. Like definitely, definitely love online. You know, everybody always who works from home sits around in their underwear all the time. Why, why, why do they do that? I, I don't sit around in my underwear and I've always worked. I don't from sit home. around my underwear. It's just a nice thing to say because every once in a while, maybe once a month or so, then you know, maybe once a month I, I play in my underwear. But yeah, it's not, it's just a fun thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me about, you know, playing 40 tables at a time. So like, I think that, I think my maximum historically is probably like 10 to 12 and yeah. even then like um i've always been a high intensity grinder and typically held you know one of the higher win rates at the stakes that i played but sort of my you know my downfall is that I, I, there's no chance I can play like 25 tables at a time. There's no way um, at the, at the level that I want to play them at, like I want to play them at a very, very high level. And I feel like at some point really it's, it's like after six and I haven't even played six tables in forever because like uh, after black Friday um, I've actually not really played on a named website in a since black Friday. Uh, it's been mostly all ignition um, and Bovada cash as well as, you know, live cash too, directly following black Friday. But, um, anytime I hit like more than six, I felt like there was diminishing returns to my win rate for each table added. So, you know, mm -hmm. battling 
40 tables at the same time, sit and goes. Um, yeah, just tell me about that. And as you were like scaling up, it, you know, it seems like you didn't hit the point of diminishing returns. No, and obviously my ROI had to have been dropped a little bit per table as I increased. Sure. But obviously, obviously I figured out like, okay, I can play 15 games at a time and make $3 a sit and go. Or I can play 40 sit and goes at a time and make $2 a sit and go. So sure. obviously I'm making a little less, but the quantity is pushing out, you know, the money is so much harder. And it was just, it was just a conditioning thing. And luckily I've always had kind of a close to photographic memory when I'm focused in on something. So even, you know, through those 40 tables, I could go through the stack and pull a table off the side. I'm like, okay, I remember check, I check raised here on the flop and, and now here we are. And, and having a memory like that obviously really helps. And that, that's why it's, um, I kind of blow my mind, even my, you know, I, excuse me, I, I blow the minds of friends of mine because I can tell them exact hands we've played against each other five years ago. Oh yeah. I remember you bet the turn. I check raise the river. Um, so it's, 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 it's been nice to have that built into me, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just like anything. It's like riding a bike, continuing to, uh, stack up the tables higher. And like I said, or maybe I haven't said this yet, but poker stars, I was playing poker stars, sit and goes regular speed only. Sure. 10 hand, uh, 10 minute level sit and goes. And they gave you more time to act on those tables than any sit and goes do today. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to play 40 sit and goes today. Even if you were to like teleport me at that time to today, because of the amount of time given sure. is that, that yeah. sweet. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was fun. I love that. I love that so much. And like I said, it wasn't just 40 tables at a time. It was 40 tables. It was, and obviously it was 40 tables max for 40. I, I never let myself go above 45 tables. And obviously when I get knocked out of some tables, the table count goes down, but it was always, it was pretty much between 35 and 45 tables at a time for eight to 10 hours straight. That was my grind. Yeah. Um, that's, and I that's a big it. grind. It just, yeah. It was so consistent. It was so rewarding. Um, the good old days, I guess, you know, and, and yeah, then it goes just so much days. softer back then. There was, there weren't all these different programs people were using and, you know, uh, flat out the competition was a lot softer back then. You know, it's not like it is today. It's a lot tougher today. The game's changed so much. The aggression levels have changed so much. I kind of just ran everyone over. And now it's funny. Now, now some people look at me as a little tighter, you know, <laughs> the game's changed. As you know, the game's changed so much in the last 10 years, let alone even the last five years, the game's just changed and evolved. And there's just that many more competent winning players out there. There's so many more training sites out there. There's so much more, uh, stuff out there to grab and look at and improve your game upon back then. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like yeah. that at all. I, I mean, I remember the first time that I watched like Cardinals videos and Brian Townsend. Yeah. Grinding, the like, videos, yeah. One K and L. And I was like, Holy shit, this is like game changing. Like this is incredible. Yeah. Like just hearing, just watching a P and E and hearing, you know, these like legends thought process as they were playing their hands. I mean, that was like, you know, it was that and, before that was like poker stove. It was just like running equity ca- yeah, equity poker calcs stove. Yeah, for yeah. like many years of running raw equity calcs, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I did, I, I do remember thinking back on it now that even though I only played like six tables at a time, I was a little devious um, and I would table start on UB. And basically like when I table started, because poker table ratings was a thing, you could see like the BBs per hundred of like, whoever you were playing against you said you play on ultimate bet i did like what, what did you play cash games cash games cash okay games. i was gonna say yeah. i played a lot of sit and goes ultimate bet i was winning they had a weekly uh sit and 
single leaderboard, I took it down like every week. I was, that was, man, yeah. that was amazing. I did the math. I was making half with the single leaderboard and the actual rake back. I was making about a hundred percent rake back every week. Fucking crazy. Yeah, crazy, crazy. That's, that's sick. Um, so sick. But yeah, I would table start and just make turbo tables like in hyper turbo. And like then the, because people could look up my win rate, um, regs wouldn't generally sit me heads up. So I would get like really good games. And then the like, are you playing heads up singos? Heads up singos? No, 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 no. I was playing six max and starting like turbo tables. So basically like less time bank, limited time to act. And then the fish would come and sit against me and I would have a few of them to myself. And then like the, the regs that were playing like, you know, 10 to 15 tables would join the turbo table and then would keep timing out. Like they wouldn't have enough the time hi, to hi, The hyper turbo, the hyper turbo sin goes. No, 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 no. Just cash games, like six max. Oh, cash, cash games. Okay. Yeah, okay. Cash cash games, games, cash I'm with games. you now. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was like another thing, right? It's just like another way to find an edge back then was like, oh, these guys grinding 20 tables, they can't play a turbo cash game because they just time out. They, they can't act quickly enough. Um, yeah. And these, you know, what is, what is a wreck care? Like what, what, what do they care about how much time they have to act? They're playing one table. So it's probably more than enough for time for them anyway. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, just uh, sort of a funny, funny little thing. But after, um, you know, after Black Friday, you started playing cash games. You didn't, I would imagine after playing so many sit and goes, right? Like why cash instead of tournaments? Or are you just grinding both of them? So yeah, I was always playing a little bit of cash games here and there. Um, I would, you know, during all those years of playing sit and goes, I, I would probably go play live cash once a week, you know? And then when Black Friday hit, I was like, okay, I've had a nice win rate playing cash. I'll transition and just play live cash for a little while here. and then. I was just playing way too high, playing way too high, staking too many people, spending too much money. Um, so I got up to Canada as soon as I could. Um, three, four, five months after Black Friday hit. Um, I actually finished um, Supernova Elite on Poker Stars that year uh, from yeah. grinding sit and goes. And I was on lockdown, man. I was on lockdown to get that. If you don't know what that, if, I'm sure most people don't know what that was, but you had to pay $181,818 in rake during the calendar year to obtain Supernova Elite. And that got you back about $110,000 of rake back um, from that system. And it was that mega grind. I got up to Canada in July, middle of July. And I to, to achieve Supernova Elite that year, I had to play about an average of 10 hours a day continuously. And I only took two days off from the middle of July until I got Supernova Elite on Christmas Day. Um, that was definitely one of my biggest accomplishments as far as like feet, you know, something I felt like, okay, like it's something I'm really proud of. Um, it's a big deal. Not, not, not an easy grind. It, it's not. And like, I, I was coaching a guy who is going for supernova elite um, within like a six or six or seven month window um, playing like 200, uh, 200 zoom. And it was in like, his life was incredibly difficult and he could not do anything outside of, you know, Hitting the, gym, hitting the gym <laughs> break, and break playing poker prisoner. all day yeah and it was yeah. like he's uh was testing out like the uberman sleep schedule and like doing whatever yeah. he could to like gain more hours um with, with different sleep patterns and then uh yeah he he was mostly there and in the process of getting there i think he was stuck and that was the year that they cut the cord um Man. and pretty pretty brutal ending to that story and I do think though that that 
that decision by PokerStars is still kind of haunting them to this day. Yeah. Uh, you mean cutting out the Super Elite program and all that? The way that the way they did it and the way that it happened, you know, they kind of. I don't of, know the story. I don't know the story. Oh, so they decided as a company to basically cut the privileges to Supernova Elite um, mm-hmm. near the end of the year. So. Oh, they didn't. They didn't wait till the calendar year was done. No, it was like it was like basically oh everybody God. that had been grinding it for the whole year. They just said, "Ah, fuck you guys," and basically wow. cut, cut it. I don't know how I never knew this. I always figured they had to have waited. To- till the calendar year and said okay it's not not wow that's so messed up i, I mean, didn't know that i don't think they gave much notice much or any notice i mean that's why like ike left poker stars that's why a lot of their their ambassadors left poker stars and wow. you know that's how they lost a ton of market share to party poker and now you know to the the behemoth in the industry is gg poker and you know that's that's how they lost a ton of market share to all those places because i i imagine like as soon as um you know ishai sold right for billions of dollars to a corporation and then all of a sudden like you you probably don't have the poker players who are providing intel and feedback and insight and you just have somebody looking at like the revenue and it's like oh we're like we're spending a lot of money on this like supernova elite program if we cut this like we can save x amount of dollars and then yeah that's what it was there's businessmen coming in saying oh if we just cut out rake back a ton then we can just make so much more money and screw the players and yeah it's offline it's tragic honestly that that happened for sure i mean it's i think it's uh it's an interesting thing about poker in that it's hard to understand the life of a poker player it's hard to understand kind of how they're constructed if you're a businessman and i i don't know actually the full details of this but i do know that there was a big thing with gg lately um galfond released a video and uh, Patrick Howard released a video on them raising the rake at 5K and L to something like obscene. I mean, it was like already obscene, like 4.5 bigs per hundred in rake at, at 2550 and L, which is like 10 times lo- bigger than any other platform in the world. And they boosted it up another to like seven to eight big blinds per hundred to a point to where like all the, all the big games died because like they're, they're just unbeatable. So the pros are not going to play in them. Um, and I think like 90 of them banded together boycotted the games because it's a smaller player pool so yeah that that is an option um and gg actually fixed it uh yes after, i see it fixed that. i saw that yeah they listened they they listened to the players and they fixed it which yeah. is always a good sign for me um that because yeah. you know it's this weird sort of relationship that poker pros have with platforms in that yeah. you know you kind of need each other uh but anyway, um, and sorry to backtrack, but it's been on my mind ever since. But I didn't finish it. But uh, talking about the forty tables at a time, forty yeah. tables at a time, um, I was able to do that because sit and goes. For those of you who don't know, listening to the podcast, sit and goes are relatively short stacked tournaments. Like you know, yeah, there's it's semi deep in the beginning, but most of the sit and goes are. 10 big blinds, 20 big blinds, 15 big blinds, eight big blinds, shorter stacked play. So everything's a lot more calculated, a lot more scientific. You know, what's the right play? I know the right play here is it's like basically it's like a constant quiz. What do you sure. do here with eight bigs? I shove. What do you do here with 10 bigs? I fold. What do you do here with 15 bigs? I raised a two. It's just a constant quiz. Whereas, like for me now, I really never allow myself to go above 20 tables when playing tournaments. I feel like that's the absolute maximum I can handle while still playing good poker. And really, I've realized 
I'm really trying to keep my table count to about 14 or 15 at the absolute max so that I can, because obviously the most important thing with MTTs, with multi-table tournaments, which is what I now focus on, is quality over quantity for sure. It's not the best thing to add a few more tables if it's going to hurt your stuff because it's so important to make good decisions, not make mistakes, and still be able to semi-pay attention to what everyone's doing around the table. And obviously, for those of you just beginning, I always recommend starting off at a table count where you can win at. If you can't win playing two tables, don't go above two tables. Stay, stay two tables until you can win consistently. And then, you know, obviously, if you're winning, something else to talk about, too, is to stick with what you're doing. You know, I feel like poker players too often now just, how can I get move up in stakes? How can I add more tables? Well, why would you want to when you're making $3,000 a month every month right now? Just be happy with what you're doing. Build your bankroll. Continue to get better. And then worry about making, you know, increasing the tables and, and things like that. So I think, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, especially in multi-table tournaments, it's always going to be quality over quantity um, first, you know. Yeah, and I think um, there are some, like, really good examples of that. Darren Elias, uh, I believe, is, like, a very low-volume online grinder, plays very few tables, but puts in a, the maximum amount of intensity into each tournament that he plays. And I think that, like... He is a little- sicko, man. I... I didn't know who he was. I played against him on America's card him a couple of years ago. I was like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, I, it's funny because he's such a boss. He's such a player. He is, man, he is, whoo. He is, he is a, I, I, I don't know if he's actually like a GTO player, but now that I'm very familiar with GTO, like he pushes GTO to the limit, man. He's, he shoves so wide. He's tough. He's a tough guy. He's not a guy you want at your table. Yeah, for sure. Um, And, and actually like I can, so, so going back to like just higher intensity, fewer tables and quality, um, the way that I think about all of that is that essentially as a professional poker player or an aspiring poker player, hobbyist, what, whatever it is, you know, think of yourself as a factory, right? Where the thing that you output, your product is well-played hands, right? So like you don't want to increase operations when your your factory is producing bad products. It's producing losing products. You don't want quantity at that point. You want to spend time working on your system, working on your factory, looking at your frameworks, upgrading your game. And then as you're able to churn out high quality products, then you can start thinking about increasing capacity, right? To the point to where like, again, diminishing returns. Whenever you, you hit a point of tables where the quality of your product is just going significantly down, then that's you don't want to keep pressing in that in that scenario right so like for me it's like learn the fundamentals play very high intensity poker um focus on your factory find the upgrades that you need to make and when that when when everything is going smoothly and that process is just ready to roll then you can kind of scale up right but not until then because if you do it too early you're just churning out too many shitty products. And when you do that, you end up losing. It ends up being a self-defeating process. And so, yeah, really for the listener, just focus on the fundamentals, focus on learning, play high intensity for a while until you have like a really good idea of how things work and you're able to process and chunk information much more effectively. Um, Then you can move up. Yep, absolutely. Are you a lone wolf searching for the ultimate pack? 
The CPG Wolf Program is a close-knit brotherhood hell-bent on one thing only, chasing poker greatness. Powered by bleeding-edge wolf strats and led by Coach Brad and his lieutenants, CPG Wolves are systematically prepared for almost any spot they'll encounter on the green felt. If you want to plug into an elite team and have a step-by-step -step game plan to realize your full poker potential, you can apply at cpgwolves.com. Space is limited, and the pack is only as strong as its weakest member. So only the hungriest, grittiest, and most driven will be accepted into the program. Applications are open at cpgwolves.com. All right, so we're going to... I guess we'll actually continue your poker journey because we only hit Black Friday. You know, this is a yeah, yeah. So lot of lot of time um, after Black Friday. You know, you're playing live. You actually went moved to Canada, right? And I assume yeah, moved that's to where you're continuing. Yeah, your, moved to Vancouver. Got mm -hmm. Supernova Elite. I was up there for six months. Actually, a funny story with that. I don't tell the story very often. Um, I had a friend who went up to Canada over on the east side of the United States near Toronto. And he said that he had his car packed full of stuff. And he read the on, he read the online laws that we as Americans can go up to Canada for 180 days out of the year. And so he went across the border with his car stuffed full of all the stuff. And he said, I want to come up here and play online poker for the next six months. And they said, no. He's like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean no? They said, no, you're not benefiting society up here. You don't have a job. You're not going to school. You can't come up here for 180 days unless we say you can. And we're saying you can't. So you have to come back here in a week and report down here back in a week. And he told me this. And so I went to the Canadian consulate in Seattle. And I went in and I asked them questions. And by the end of this conversation with someone there at the desk in this office that I set up a meeting with, I said, so what you're telling me is that if I go across the border right now and ask to come up for six months for online poker, then you say no. So I just have to ask you, if I were to come up here, if I were to go up to Canada for a few days and now I'm in Canada and it's like my fourth day, what happens if I change my mind and decide to stay longer? Do I have to go back to the border and tell them like, well, no, but like, la la, and, and it kept giving me the same answer. I said, okay, thank you so much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. And they said, what's your name again? I said, bye. <laughs> so I put one small suitcase in my backseat. I put my computer monitor set up in my trunk. I drove across the border and they said, why are you coming to Canada? I said, a little vacation for the weekend. They said, okay, have a good time. Come or, you know, where, what hotel are you staying out here? I'm staying here for tonight. They said, okay, come on in. Have a great, have a great time. I signed a six month lease the very next day. I stayed at the hotel. I signed a six month lease. I gave the guy cash for the security deposit in the first three months in advance. So he felt safe stayed three months in advance the whole way. And I was trapped in Canada, if you will, for 180 days. Well, self-trapped, self-trapped. <laughs> and I came across, back across the border with my car stuffed full of everything that I bought over the six months living up there. And uh, he said, how long have you been here in Canada? And I looked at him with a sheepish smile and I said, 178 days. <laughs> He's like, oh, you think you're real cute there with the 180 day rule, huh? And he went back to went back inside. He said, Hold on a second. Went back inside his booth. Came back out. And he said, "Get your ass out of here and get back to the states." Unfortunately, now I've gone back up to Canada a couple of times, and obviously they flagged me. 
because now they've made they make me wait in this little lobby for four or five hours each time before they wave me in as like a punishment i think but that was that was one of the best experiences of my life i was paying 1500 a month for a tiny little cubicle on the 30th floor in the heart of downtown vancouver with amazing views one elevator ride down to the main drag of downtown vancouver and vancouver is just beautiful my, my dad's best friend is 80 years old he has over 100 countries stamped in his passport he's been everywhere and to this day he says the most beautiful place in the world is vancouver british columbia and it is it's breathtaking i remember driving in beautiful mountains behind a backdrop behind the city the architecture of the city kind of reminds me of miami this kind of chic really amazing looking city you got the waterway going through the middle of the city uh, you know the the water is all around the city. It's just a beautiful, you know, the, the landscaping's immaculate. It's an amazing place if you've never been there. And in fact, I'm looking forward to taking my wife there for the first time, hopefully in the next couple of years, uh, get back up there. But yeah. Nice. Just get prepared to sit in a room by yourself for five or six hours. Yep. when you. When you're so I finished through. grinding Supernova Elite. I moved back to Seattle area for a little bit. And I transitioned to playing live cash games 40 hours a week. And I was such an idiot with my money off the felt. I gave myself no chance of, of, of succeeding. I was playing a one, three, $200 max cash game, 40 hours a week at Tulalip Casino, just north of Seattle. And I was making about $8,000 a month in that game. I was just destroying that game. And my baseline of expenses was $6,000 a month. I was driving a Porsche. I was living in an apartment that was way above my head. I was just you always buying Porsches. whatever I want, treating friends to do this and that, just acting as if I'm a millionaire with my money. And that's when I went broke. I went completely broke because I was just gave myself no chance. I wasn't this, saving this was any money. After, and I was my ex- after, uh, after Black Friday. After yeah. Black Friday. So it was, uh, you built up six figures, spent yourself down Black Friday, spent yourself down again after so so i this was the first time going broke was after black friday um oh gosh gotcha, actually gotcha. i actually um i actually got engaged to my high school sweetheart right like the week before i went up to canada came back got married um we weren't meant to be uh we got a divorce after about a year and a half and i went broke after we got divorced, um, because that's when I was just pure, I was just partying and going crazy and making a thousand dollars on the cash game and spending $500 on my friend's bar tab. And just my, my ridiculous spending off the felt again, just, it was inevitable. I was going to go broke looking back on it. And I got to give a big shout out to my, to my wife. Now I met my wife, um, got remarried and, uh, I met my wife seven years ago. And it's funny. I tell Ironic now I look back at it. A good friend of mine said to me, um, after my divorce, and I was single and partying and raging, going crazy and just spending money like a lunatic. He said to me, He goes, You are not gonna be successful, Michael, until you find a good woman who makes you calm down and helps you ma- manage your money off the felt. And he was right. He really was. I met my wife and I had an eight thousand dollar bankroll, and I moved in with her. And actually went on just a really bad run of cards while being smart with money for the first time. And she, I, I, my bankroll after we got engaged, like a month after we got engaged, my bankroll was at $3,000. And I was like, okay, I'm going to grind. She's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to grind. You've got the capability to do some coaching. 
So why don't you just coach until you get your bankroll back up to seven or 8,000 and then you start grinding again. That was, that was a painful, this was a 2017 and that was a painful month or two for me because that was the first time in poker career I felt like I was working because I didn't want to coach 40 hours a week and not play at all. That was like my nightmare, honestly. But luckily I did exactly what she said. She was right. I, I did nothing but coaching 40 hours a week and got my bankroll back up to seven or 8,000. And then I was just really hungry. I was really hungry. I was probably the most hungry I've ever been in my life right there. And I um, crushed cash games crash cash games consistently and built my bankroll back up to about 25 K two months later. And then the, the best night of my life, poker wise, one of the best nights of my life ever. Um, I hit the biggest score of my life on America's card room, $265 buy-in million dollar guaranteed million dollars. Sunday took it down outright for 138,000. And all of a sudden my bankroll is 160 K it was three K Three and a half months earlier, and now I've got 160k roll, the biggest bankroll of my life. And obviously, with the help of my wife to you know manage my money and not spend it and be smart with it, I've one car. Don't buy a Porsche since then. Stay away from the Porsches. Stay. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I actually got a Porsche <laughs> uh, <laughs> last summer, but obviously, I was smart with it. I traded in my Camry, and you know, very you know, three hundred dollar payment. So it's I'm being smart with money now and. Um, I owe a lot to her, obviously, you know, and she, she's a big reason for my success and she actually loves the game and she actually studies now more than me and just loves poker. Her whole family loves poker. You know, she's definitely, definitely my soulmate, man. She's, she's the best. It's been nice to have a partner who understands the game and understands tilt and understands the ins and outs of it all. She gets it, you know, and it's, it's amazing to have her by my side and, 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 I, I can't really imagine, even if I were to win some tournament, live tournament for a million dollars, the most special night of my life poker-wise was before I started streaming, winning that $138,000 first place prize on my laptop, in bed with her when we were engaged, and just sharing that moment together. Um, it's amazing. It's an amazing night. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, that's just, uh, it's a huge triumph, and yeah. especially only a few months removed from, you know, a low point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that. So my wife was a poker dealer actually. And so she's familiar with the industry and I just have to say as you know, I'm divorced as well. Um, previously divorced, but like having somebody that is like supportive and that understands the industry in your corner when like, this is actually, you know, your passion yeah. is you can't really awesome. put a, put a, number value on it. It's just so critical to long-term success. Um, having that, that support system and having somebody who understands kind of the ins and outs of what's going on. Like, yo, I'm going to, you know, there's going to be times where I will play for a month and I'll have a losing month and there's just, there's nothing I can do about it other than logging back on tomorrow and putting in more volume to the best of my ability. And like, that's, that can be a, a struggle. It can be a sticking point. Um, especially, yes. you know, when you start talking about like really big numbers, um, that can get a little bit scary for somebody who's unfamiliar with the industry, who has some sort of like familial past of gambling addiction or yeah. terrible things happening like historically. Um, I think there's a lot of negative biases, um, uh, in the world specifically as it relates to, to gambling in general. And I think that while I, I, I don't think that 
I, I do think that playing cards is gambling, but it's um, strategic and structured, and there's a path to victory, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think that a lot of those negative biases still still exist in society today, unfortunately. And in a lot of cases, I, I think like we kind of glorify such behavior. I mean, most of the most of like the live stream uh, these days, that the biggest ones are like, oh, who's going to be the biggest degen tonight and lose five hundred k? And like, it's it's yeah. like a battle of who can play the worst, which is just a weird it's a weird pivot for poker, honestly. It is. And yeah, it's funny you bring up live cash games. I was talking about this last night with some friends. I really have no desire to ever play live stream cash games ever again. Um, You know, I played, I played, I've played a number of live at the bike and stones live and it's not something I really want to do moving forward. It's just like, there's a lot of psychological pressure when you know that a lot of people are watching you. Um, Yeah. I just, I'm not really into it. I'm not really into live cash game streams anymore. I don't want to, you know, it's not, Something I would want to do. Yeah, I don't really have much inclination to doing it either. Although it's yeah. probably like a decent business move at some point. But yeah, yeah, it's not. I live in Atlanta, so getting out to like L.A. to play live at the bike for a few nights or a few sessions or whatever, it's like it just doesn't. Yeah. It's not a good use of my time and energy. Um, I want to stay home and do my grind and just do what I'm doing. Yeah, just sit around in your underwear, right? That's <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. the way way it goes. That's right. Um, tell me about uh, becoming a sponsored ACR Pro. So, you know, as somebody that was a lone wolf and kind of just out there on his own, uh, gaining that sponsorship is man game changer. I mean, yeah, up until up until ACR, um, every penny that I've ever made up until I was. 30 years old was purely from poker, not from anything else ever, you know? Um, and that's something, that's something I wish I had done, you know, instead of blowing all my money, I wish I'd been investing in real estate, you know, residual income opportunities, but nonetheless, ACR changed the game for me, changed the game for me, man. Um, I reached out to them about a month after my big win. Um, I, I built up a decent Instagram following and I messaged them and said, Hey, I've got this, you know, Instagram following and, um, you know, I want to talk to you guys about becoming your next ACR team pro. And they, I told them, you know, I also had a bunch of commentating experience at stones, stones, live, live stream game. And so they said, okay, well, they, we'll look into you and get the back infamous, to you. And they back to- infamous stone live stream stones live, man. Oh, I got a lot of stories with that, but, uh, we'll get yeah. to that in a second. Um, sure. but yeah, I reached out to them and they flew me down to Costa Rica for their 5k cage event, which is uh a tournament cash game hybrid so for those of you who don't know it's like a you buy in for 5k you get 5000 in chips and the blinds go up every 2 hours you play for 6 hours on day 1 you bag up you come back for day 2 same thing uh 3 2 hour levels and then you end night you end the night on day 2 and then however many chips you have in front of you you cash out so it's an awesome awesome gig awesome tournament does this still run that tournament Great question. So I played, I played the last Hold'em cage that they had January of 2020. Actually, the the day that Kobe passed away. It was a very emotional day for me. I've never been affected that much by a celebrity death in my life. And we found out about his helicopter crash 30 minutes before we we're gonna start playing. And I, I was crying, man. I was tears coming down my face, crying in that moment. I had to get myself together, and now I'm gonna play this 5K event. And it's funny to say that because obviously. 
like I said, it's the only celebrity I've ever been like really affected by. Um, basketball is a big part of your life, right? We haven't touched on that, but yeah, that basketball that's, is that's, another big yeah, part. Yeah, we should go into that in a second. Basketball sure. was my, my, my whole life when I was younger. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, where was I going with this? Cage. Uh, the you, cage. You sat down the cage, yeah. Yes, the cage. So they, they flew me down. I commentated. I commentated with uh, one of the only ACR team pros, Jeff Boski. And I, I commentated the cage with them and they hit me up a few days later when I came back home and said, we want to sign you as an official commentator. We run the cage every two months. So we want you to be our official commentator. And I said, I just can't do that. Like, it's just too much. Uh, you know, when I met my wife, she had two boys. They're now my boys, obviously. And um, we had another, you know, we, we had a boy on our own after our, our marriage and we got three boys now we're done. Um, but I said, I said, it's just too much. It's too much for me to fly on to Costa Rica every two months and go away from the family. And my responsibility is just too much. But um, I linked them to Justin Kelly, who was the main stones live commentator at the time. Who's now the main commentator at America's card room. And I said, he's the man for you. And I said, but I really want to talk to you guys about maybe me becoming an ACR team pro. What do I have to do to make that happen? And they said, we really need you to start streaming on Twitch and build, build a Twitch uh, presence and build that up. And so I did, I started streaming October of 2018 and they reached out to me a year later and said, you know, you've grown your Instagram, you've grown your Twitter, you've grown your Twitch stream. We love your Twitch stream. We love you. And we'd love to sign you on as the next ACR team pro. And that was, that was, man, like I said, that was such a game changer. And obviously to be able to receive a monthly payment for the first time in my life outside of poker for poker. Sure. Such a game changer, such a big um, stress relief to know that I've got this amount of money coming every month I can play with and, you know, be supported by it's, it's amazing. And it was, it was awesome getting to know Phil Nagy and my boy Juan and all the guys at ACR during this time, uh, because I went down for another cage and played a cage and commentated another cage and talked to these guys a lot. And I felt so comfortable with them and, felt confident that the guys that are behind America's card are guys that I can trust and that I can trust that I'm going to put my name on my reputation on that. They're going to do right. And, um, it's been a great experience with America's card ever since. That's nice, man. Yeah. The, um, those supplementary checks are quite pivotal, uh, yes. just offering stability, you know, I think, um, yeah, just for grinders out there. Who's only, pursuit is playing poker. I think like just stretching yourself and giving yourself some kind of cushion, some kind of regular income flow is a really, really, really Huge. big deal for Huge. professional poker Everything. players because it just Huge. stress is a big deal. Like, and as you said, you know, when you're grinding, like you said, you had 6k in expenses, right? And then you're making 8k a month. Well, mathematically speaking, that's not going to end up too great when you consider taxes and that was six K off base expenses, like base expenses. And I'm a guy that's uh, during that time in my twenties that just spent money. So right. So breaking like, even, yeah, you're breaking even or, or, or losing a little bit, but your bankroll is definitely not going up. And that just is going to create a situation where there's a lot of stress to perform at a very high level every single day. And when things inevitably go bad and you're spending money, then the level of stress is just exponentially increased. And, and to answer your question about the cage real quick too, um, sure. I might get in trouble for saying this because it's not public information yet, but Phil Nagy actually just told us two nights ago 
that he just signed a deal with the Sheraton here that I'm staying at right now in Escazú, uh, just outside of San Jose, Costa Rica. August 16th, the cage is coming back for the first time in three and a half years. It's going to be on a regular basis here every couple months. And so the way it was before was there's a day one where you could buy in for five or $10,000. And if you bought in for 10K, you had the option of putting 5K on the table and you could put the other 5K in play anytime you wanted. But it had to be the whole 5K. But it had to be the whole 5K off the bat, yes. And then you had the option to put the second bullet on if you bought in. And that was it. If you get knocked out, you're done. But now they're going to, and there was one day one, and there was day two, and it's done. Now they're going to do it where there's going to be three day ones where you can either buy in for 5K or 10K to start. And then you can choose to just put the 10K on the table to start if you buy in for the 10K or put 5K on and have the 5K behind you ready to put on whatever you want. Or just buy in for 5K and that's it. But you have to choose from the beginning which one it's going to be. But there's now there's going to be three day ones and you can play all three days. So if you want, there's going to be guys. In fact, I'm probably going to do this myself. I'm probably just going to buy in each day for 10K. And then however much you bag at the end of the day will get added to your day two stack. So you could buy in for 10K on each day one and you bag, let's, let's just say you bag $33,000 on each day. Now on day two, you're going to start with $99,000 and it's going to be massive. It's going to be super deep. It's, and it's, it's going to be interesting, obviously, because like I said, when day two ends, that's how much you're cashing out. So like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm on the last blind level here and I've got a hundred K in front of me. And there's a couple other good players. Like it's kind of, it's like a cash game, right? So I, I could just, I could just sit out and fold sure. and cash out a hundred K in an hour or I could mix it up. It's, it's, it's going to create a lot of interesting scenarios and high stakes scenarios that no one's ever been in before. And I'm really excited for it. What are the, the blind levels on day two, like the final three, what does it close on? So I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it's, I think on the first day it goes 25, 25, 25, 50, 5,100 on day one. One, two, two, four, three, six would be insane. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that the last blind level is 100, 200. Okay. Pretty sure. So it's going to be deep. It's going to be mega deep on the last blind level on day two. It's going to be so deep with the structure. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a, it's going to be streamed on Twitch. It's going to be so fun to watch. It's going to be fun to play. Nice. I'm sure you'll have satellites up for a while. And yeah, and that's, that's what that he said. Thing. He said every night we're going to run satellites for this for the next day. And we'll run satellites on America's card room so that people can satellite through through online and then travel down and play it. So that's going to be oh, awesome. Oh, it's a, li- a live event? It's a live event. Yeah, the cage oh, is always live. Oh, I see. I see. I see. So, so yeah, so gonna... I, sorry. So when I flew down here, I was commenting. It's a live event. Yeah, the got cage it, is a live got event. Got it. Got it. Yes. So it's it's live. That makes sense. Yes. Makes sense. Yep. Um, Nice. That should be a, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That that's yeah. one of the formats of tournaments. I don't play a ton of tournaments, but that was interesting to me because it's kind of yeah. unique and yeah, it was cool. Like I remember it three years from three years ago and I don't play tournaments. So, um, it made an impact. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you hit the tournament, you become an ACR pro and that kind of leads us to today, right? Anything yeah. happen in the interim there? Um, you know, COVID hit. Sure. ACR was booming for the first year. It was crazy. The influx of players. Sure. Games, games got mega soft again. I felt like for a while. Um, I definitely went through a little bit of dry spell 
and it wasn't because of luck. It wasn't because of variance. I dove really hard into solvers and GTO land and I fell out of my game and was just trusting GTO to the max and not playing as much exploitative style as I used to and just going straight GTO. And there's a reason that I had my first losing year of my life playing poker, going hard in GTO because in my opinion, I say FGTO, you know, it's GTO is a great system to understand the baseline of, and there are a lot of great strategies within GTO, but in my opinion, a lot of the pre-flop specifically 30 big blind and under strategies in GTO are just way too wide, way too loose, way too shove happy, unnecessary. And it wasn't until I actually had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Brian Fight, who's now a BBZ coach, about exactly the fact like, oh, I realized like, wow, I'm, I'm down for the last year for the first time in life. And I feel like it's because of GTO. I feel like, and just talking with him about the number of things that I had realized of I'm GTO was causing me to, and it does, it wants you to call three bets out of position a lot wider than I like to do. It wants you to make a lot of shoves, especially, especially 25 bigs and less a lot wider than I like to. Um, all these different plays that just equal to me not making as much money. Once I had, to, once I just had a few, like literally just a few conversations on the phone with Brian, who's a great friend of mine about the changes that I needed to make to go back into my game and take pieces of GTO, but cut out a lot of stuff on GTO that I learned. I mean, it clicked fast. That's crazy. This was just August of last year where I made the changes of going back into my game, taking certain things I liked from GTO and implementing into my game, but going back into more of a tournament life, survival, short stack ninja type of game that I play. It's crazy because having this conversation with Brian, I knew I was going to start crushing again. I just didn't know I was going to start crushing as far as I did. You know, I, I went a year of GTO, literally one solid year of GTO where I was like minus 15K pre-rake back to now it's been what is this april it's been like eight months nine months since i made a lot of these changes in my game and i'm i've made the most this is my biggest year by far i'm up like over 300k in the last nine months making a lot of consistent scores and i think that's something that a lot of people just it's something that people don't realize enough and i feel like a lot of people like oh the variance the bad luck i mean yeah, there is a lot of bad luck and there's a lot of variance and there's a lot of swings and you're going to go on down swings even when you're playing great. But I think a lot of people don't realize you're making mistakes a lot more than you realize if you're losing for long periods of time, such as I was. And I knew that. I knew I wasn't running. I knew it was a lot more than variance. I knew it was a lot of bad luck. And that's the toughest part of the game, right? Like, how can you really assess how you're doing? Because another thing, and this is a whole other thing we could talk about for an hour is, the different programs that show your big blind expected and your big blind actual win rates. I think those are flawed. I really do. Cause I, I, have, I have too many friends that just, in my opinion, don't play great, great enough poker to make massive amounts of money. But yet these programs say that they should be making 500 more big blinds per hour, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's such a hard thing to gauge, right? Like how good am I really playing? How much bad luck is it? How much variance is it really? That's sure. such a hard thing to measure. It's incredibly difficult and it's incredibly easy to delude yourself into thinking that you're just running bad, getting unlucky, et cetera. Um, I, I always have like a bone to pick too with all in adjusted EV. I don't really trust the stat. 
and my wolves, uh, who are members of my coaching for profit, um, I've basically instructed them. And I'm sure I've said on the podcast before too, like, just get rid of the stat because it doesn't do anything for you. Like it's either a, you're going to be running above EV and you feel bad just waiting for, you know, the other shoe to drop basically, or B you're running super under EV and you feel like you're very, very unlucky. Um, and there's just, there's no upside to looking at that, um, that stat in any report. Um, the good thing, and, and by the way, it is incredibly difficult to recognize and be honest with yourself or to even have the knowledge to know that you're playing bad in a lot of cases without any kind of support system. But I mean, um, people in my CFP, like this is a major benefit to being part of a team. It's a major benefit of having, um, you know, basically a net to catch you and to analyze what you're doing. Like these days, you know, I'm basically a full-time data analyst is kind of like how I spend my energy and it's finding leaks, finding ways that we can upgrade our win rates. Um, and yeah, like you, you have to stay on top of it because like, realistically speaking, you know, the biggest downswing I've ever been on in my life is 23 buy-ins and there are people uh, even, even some of my wolves that have gone on like a 30 buy-in downswing and they're kind of, uh, battling with the reality of like, I'm not playing bad. I'm just getting really, really unlucky. I'm like, I'm, I'm playing to the best of my ability. And I'm like, I don't think you are like, you, you just, you typically can't be. And I mean, um, paranoia, I guess has always been my friend in poker where when I start going on a downswing, um, even when I'm on an upswing, I get paranoid that like, I need to. I need to improve. I need to progress. Um, if I lose five buy-ins in a session, like I'm paranoid that like I'm playing bad. And so like, I will analyze everything, um, to figure out what's going wrong. Um, and I think that like, that's sort of the mentality you have to have as a poker player. You have to take it that serious. You can't like, Oh yeah, this is probably bad. Ha ha ha. And laugh it off and move I, I, on. I love, I love, I love what you just said of when I'm winning, I'm still extra critical of what I'm doing. And I think that's a big thing that everyone listening to this podcast really needs to think about is I think most people, when they're winning, it's like, Oh, I'm winning. Yeah. I'm going to keep, no, you need to like, even just like when you're losing, when you really like, Oh, what's going on? You still need to say what's going on when I'm winning to keep winning and continue to win more and getting better. That's, I love that you said that. Well, you need to know, right? Like we have another exercise. It's a cool down um, where basically like if you win five buy-ins or how, whatever your result is, right you still look at the hands that you won because it's very easy. Again, like we're battling against delusion here and self-delusion and like, oh, I've got it figured out. Like I'm on like a 30 buy an upswing. Well, like look back at the hands, right? Maybe you won 10 flips. Like maybe you're running super hot in flips or you're running super hot in coolers or whatever it is. So like essentially at the end of a session, you know, you don't want to be too high, right? Because being too high can lead to arrogance and it can lead to downstream mistakes and it can stifle growth. And you don't want to be too low either because then you feel like a loser and your confidence is super low. So really you just want to like try to get a clearer picture outside of the results of what actually happened so that you return to like that normal baseline level where you're stable, you're not too sad and you're not too happy. Um, and then you're continuing to progress all the while because yeah, most laziness I think in poker is going to stem like the times I've been the, the laziest after Black Friday, 2011 through 2014, when I played only live poker and I was playing 60 hours a week, exceptionally lazy. Competition was very low. I was not really pressured. Um, it just wasn't 
wasn't tough. And when everything was easy for me, I, I stopped learning. I stopped growing. I didn't need to in order to survive. Um, so yeah, just for, for the listener, like when things are going well, pay attention. And when things are not going well, pay attention and basically just pay attention to your game, try to progress regularly. And yeah, just if you're running super hot, it doesn't mean that you've cracked the code to crushing poker forever. It means that you're running super hot and you have to like, you know, always keep that in mind. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I've, I've been playing poker for a living for 15 years. That's been my income. It's been my livelihood. And obviously being in the game that long and the experience and just everything I've been through, just listening to you talk, I can tell you are someone that people can depend on to give them valuable insights on so many levels of the game. And uh, it's not, Appreciate that. it's not often that I talk with someone and I'm like, oh, this guy really knows he's sharp and he really knows he's talking about so many levels. Uh, I really respect everything you're saying. And just I, I can hear your experience and your discipline, if you will, with everything you're saying. You got to be a pro, you know, I, I play I play very few live tournaments. The thing that I recognize, like when we go in a wolf retreat with, you know, 15 of us to a live tournament and we hang out in a in a house for, you know, five, five or six days and play tournaments. The thing I realize is like, dude, almost nobody here is a pro like they like they may play professionally for their income but they don't act like a pro like they don't take care of themselves they don't show up they're pounding red bulls at freaking like 11 p.m at night when they have a restart tomorrow if they bag like how on god's earth like is this still happening like it, you know it just the lack of pros in the poker world both cash games and tournaments means there's a ton of opportunity. If you're just willing to treat this thing with the respect that it deserves, you know, like eat healthy foods, take care of your body and your mind, um, get good sleep at night. Don't drink Red Bulls at 11 PM when you've got to play noon the next day, like prioritize sleep, protect yourself, um, get a massage, right? Like just whatever you can to take care of your body, your spirit, your mind while you're in there playing cards. Um, the amount of people that, yeah, I just see, you know, taking shots at 8 PM in a tournament. It's like, wow, like I can't really poker, believe this, this still exists. Poker is, I'm not sure. I'm still, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm still not sure if I'm ready to call poker a sport because there are a lot of similarities. I think it's more of a game. Sure. than a sport I agree. but obviously tournaments you could argue are kind of like a sport because there's, there's a champion there's it's competition it's skill factor even though there's a lot of luck um but just like you know i, I know we're kind of running out of time right now but you know my whole life i was a basketball player i lived and breathed basketball i had some college scholarship opportunities going into my senior year of high school i ended up busting my knee and i was down in the dumps my senior high school and that's what got me in online poker that that winter was playing lots online and now i think about everything you're talking about and professional poker players in a lot of ways whether you want to say poker is a game or a sport are a lot very similar to professional athletes everything yeah. you're saying there's certain ways you need to take care of your body there's certain ways you need to prepare there's certain ways you have to be very professional just like professional athletes are next level with their workouts and their diets and their sleep. It's the same thing when you're a professional poker player, you got to do those same things and prepare yourself for success and be smart and really take care of yourself mentally and physically. It's so it's, it's not talked about enough. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And it's not a shock that like a lot of high level college athletes that transition to poker have success. 
like people that are disciplined, people that those sort of habits are just ingrained in them. You know, uh, um, a lot of listeners right now uh, probably familiar with Tactical Tuesday. That's the strategy uh, podcast episodes that we release on Tuesday. And John, who's happy-go-lucky um, on Tactical Tuesday, like he is cutthroat, man. He's like when somebody doesn't take their occupation seriously. I mean, he's just like, it's fucking, this is trash. Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why don't you have pride in, in how you're spending your energy? You know? And I think that like, that's what this game, that's what you have to have to make it long-term in this game. Otherwise you, you don't have hope. You have to take it seriously. Um, but yeah, we are, we're running a little low on time, uh, kind of, didn't get to a bajillion questions that, that I have. <laughs> um, but we'll just go through three or four here in lightning round. And then, you know, we okay. can queue it up sometime in the near future, run back around two and circle back to some of the other, the other questions that I had. Um, That'd be great. I'd love to come back on. So hit me up anytime. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so if you could gift all poker players, one book to read, what would it be and why? Poker winners are different by Alan Schoonmaker. It's a book all about poker mentality. It's a book about how you need to look at the game on and off the felt. It's not a game about how you play aces in a three-bet pot. It's a game about bankroll management. It's a game about, it's a book, it's, it's a book about the psychology of getting aces in pre and losing and how you need to look at that. It's a game of understanding that the bad player that's winning tonight don't be frustrated by that because if it weren't for that bad player winning tonight, you wouldn't be able to play for a living. You wouldn't, you know, he needs to win tonight so he can come back for the next week and lose more to you. Um, it's, it's such a great poker psychology book. I definitely recommend it. Awesome. Poker man. winners are different. Poker winners are different by Alan. Schoonmaker. S-C-H-O-O-N maker. Schoonmaker. It's yeah. a great book. I think a card player columnist a while ago. I think. Um, so if you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would you change? Ooh. Wow. Tough question. Wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker. Man, that's a tough question. Give me one second. Um, sure. Take your time. So it, it's such a tough question to answer. I guess the one thing I could say, which isn't directly changing poker, I guess I would want to change the perception that people have of poker. Um, you know, Pretty much all the players, all the people that I know that are at the top, top of the top of the, you know, that are the top players and have been top players for quite some time are all, they're all the same. They're all hyper intelligent, disciplined people that could be massively successful in a number of different fields. And I wish that the general public understood the science behind being a professional poker player. And if done properly, it's not gambling. You're not going to go broke. If you know, if you're doing things right, you are essentially very similar to a professional athlete or anyone that's at the top of their field. Um, and obviously it, you know, it's such a spectrum of people that think, you know, that you get, you got one guy over here who looks at me like a rock star and, Oh my God, you're a professional poker player. I'm a hero. And there's other people on the other side of the spectrum that look at me like, Oh, you're a degenerate gambler. You're going to go broke. What an idiot. You know, I wish people, I wish the latter that I just described really understood 
all of the science and discipline and strategy and all the levels to the game that people really in the game know. I guess that'd be the biggest thing I could change is the perception of the game. Lawn car, you just want everybody to look at you like a rock star. That's the... <laughs> yeah, that's, come that's on, everyone. <laughs> look at me like a rock star. Not, not an idiot. Come on. <laughs> um, speaking of, you know, I think that's... As somebody that was a lone wolf for a lot of his career as well, um, starting this podcast and connecting with other folks in the poker world that have been pros for a very long time, um, you know, it, it is a very... Uh, it, it's a great experience, like, for me, because... This is my tribe. These are my people. Like there's, there are only very few people who are constructed in the way that I am that have pursued this game for decades. And when you connect with them, like you, you recognize it, it's tangible. Um, and yeah, just always uh, has been, it's been a thing that's given me energy and really the, the secret sauce as to what's given um, Chasing Poker Greatness legs to last this long. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, just, and just talking about connecting Thing with poker players just the way my what my brain's going to right now is thinking about phil Nagy, the acr ceo the thing i love about him so much is that he was a professional poker player for a number of years before he flew down to costa rica and was seeking out to be a ceo of a big poker site um and so you know it, it's nice to work for someone that just really understands the game understands the levels of everything that we do it's not just some businessman it's not some guy that just has a lot of money and got implemented into the game. Like it's, it's a real poker player and I love working for him and, 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 you know, being a part of ACR with him. And um, aside from, you know, the trust that I've built with him and the relationship I built with him, it's just so nice that a poker player is running ACR, you know? So it's, it's nice. I agree. And I think that kind of a poker players running platform probably got, got a bad rap after the full tilt mm -hmm. debacle. Um, but you know, full tilt, came out of nowhere and marketed really well and was the leader. They, they, they were, they were the leader of online poker when black Friday hit. Huh? Yeah, no, they were, they yeah, were, the yeah. I mean, they, they were, and unfortunately poker players don't always make great business people. Um, that's kind of known, but I think it was, it's very sad and kind of created a years of, you know, okay, we shouldn't let poker players be touching, um, sort of running the business side of things. And I think that's, that's not great for the long, long term of poker. Um, yep. So uh, in closing here, just uh, any projects you're working on right now that are near and dear to your heart? Um, I'm just really trying to get my stream going strong again, trying to get on a consistent four or five days a week streaming schedule. I'm also trying to add a bunch of things to my stream that I hope will kind of bring in more of a mainstream audience, um, more giveaways, more visual effects if you will more of a, a show while i'm streaming um and uh i'm actually going to come out with my first youtube tournament vlog uh in the next couple of weeks which i'm really nice. excited about Tr trying to create more content for um kind of the mainstream audience and trying to get more of a you know just a bigger following and looking forward to continuing to um you know just add new elements to my, my entire game, not just as a poker player, but also as a content creator and sure. focusing on the content side of things moving forward. Um, well, that segues perfectly into the final question of uh, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness listener find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, yeah, so I am, uh, my last name is Loncar, L-O-N-C-A-R. So you can find me uh, on Twitch. Uh, I stream on Twitch under the name Loncar Poker. And that's also the same name for my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash 
long car poker and my Instagram account where I do constant video updates of everything I'm doing throughout the day, whether it's poker or family related stuff on my stories and posts, um, Michael underscore long car over on Instagram. Perfect, man. And uh, these will also be in the show notes in the description on YouTube for the listener to click through. Thank you for your time and your energy. And um, we'll line up uh, around two, you know, sometime in the in the future. I'm looking forward to it, man. It was it was great coming on, and uh, definitely it was an honor. It was an honor being on here, man. And like I said, I I really enjoyed just listening to you speak. And, and uh, it's nice now that I've got a connection with you with now another sharp poker mind uh and uh again i'd I'd love to come back on anytime so just hit me up and i'd love to come back on thanks for having me man yeah my pleasure uh be safe out there and yeah looking forward to the cage peace awesome thanks man thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness you can subscribe on apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.